Welcome back to Newswire. It's 19 minutes past four. Now, massive crowds took to the streets of Dublin today and here to outside DCU to protest for the strike for repeal, which is aiming to uh, force the issue of the Eighth Amendment being repealed in Ireland. Uh, one of those who was involved in the DCU part of it was uh, Vicky Conway. She's a lecturer in DCU School of Law and Government and she joins me now in the studio. Uh, Vicky, thanks very much for coming in. Thanks for having me, Stephen. Uh, so what was today all about the strike for repeal? What was the aim of the uh, demonstration? Well, as you say, it's to force the government that um, to realise that this that we will not wait any longer, that the Irish people demand a referendum and to have the Eighth Amendment repealed from the Constitution. And what did you make of the turnout that we saw both here in DCU and also in town? In Dublin City Centre and across the country, it's absolutely amazing. The pictures from Dublin City Centre are incredible and hopefully we'll see more of the same this evening with the march starting at 5.30. But here in DCU, there was a really great turnout um, at the demonstration, at midday, at the vigil and at the teaching that we had this afternoon. I think DCU, from what I can tell, had the most activities of any university in Ireland. So um, it's really great to see a commitment from the students and from the students' union to pushing this issue. And among your colleagues, uh, both in the School of Long Government and also the wider uh, DCU staff, what sort of reception did you get to the idea? Yeah, really good. I mean, if you, um, I mean, staff members took, um, had meetings of their own because, of course, this, you know, it is very much a student issue, but it's an issue for any directly for any woman of reproductive age which could be anything into their mid-40s now um and you know if we have staff members that are on let's say precarious contracts and you might have people teaching that are on limited contracts and you know it becomes even harder to take the time off to travel if you need to um and you may not have the funds to travel if you need to you may be on you know just like staff and students alike could have visa issues and all of that that makes traveling to the uk that much harder so yeah it's been a really excellent response uh, i'm sure as people walk around college certainly in my department um, most of my colleagues have signs in their door now about it and we had i think it was eight or nine different um, academics contributing to the teaching bringing a huge range of perspectives from law politics communications history nursing all sorts of things so it was really excellent uh, did you worry at all about some of the disruption that it caused uh, among lecturers? Uh, for example, some lectures were cancelled today because uh, lecturers didn't want to, you know, students might have felt uncomfortable about crossing a picket. Uh, did you sort of worry that that might be uh, an issue that uh, that perhaps wasn't taken into consideration? Um, I think it was taken into consideration. I think people were very conscious of this. Those anyone I spoke to anyway. I mean, the, the language of a strike was being used. Obviously, this wasn't a trade union organised strike. So people didn't, staff members didn't have the protections that they would do if this was a trade union strike. But the whole point of a strike is to push people into really uncomfortable positions. I cancelled a class at five o'clock today. I wasn't comfortable doing that. Like I, you know, I'm under contract and I have an ethical commitment to teach my students. I don't want to do that. But that's the point is that we are so at such a point with this that drastic action is required. And so, you know, taking over Dublin city centre, stopping traffic, all of that. The point is, no, we're, we're gone past the point of relying on democratic mechanisms. And well, sorry, striking obviously is democratic, but that we, we are doing things that actually impinge on us and that we don't feel great about doing. But that's what's needed to draw attention to the cause. Were, was the university supportive of uh, that, of uh, the academic staff partaking um, in this? Well, I mean, certainly we had, I had conversations um, with my line manager about it. And I know there was conversations with um, some organisers in terms of the teaching. And they were happy enough for that to proceed in the space, in the street where we, we did it. 
Um, I'm not sure about engagement at a university-wide level. Obviously, the Students' Union have a mandate to do this, having held a referendum previously internally um, about that. And so there is a mandate on the SU to campaign for this. Um, So it is required in that sense. What about the people who would say that there is a citizens' assembly going on, uh, those 99 citizens? I think there's been four meetings of that now uh, out in Malahide Castle, and people will say you know that that is a process that's ongoing and that once it gets to the end of that then there'll be recommendations made and that um you know people should wait for that recommendation to come before uh taking these sort of actions what would you say to that well my personal response is we've waited too long already um we you know we've we've been patient and you know over 30 years nearly 35 years that that has been in the constitution and we know for polls for many many years now that this is not what people want the majority of irish people want broader access to abortion so I have a concern of this being, I mean, like the assembly is playing out in very interesting ways. It, it is, there is, it's great to see it being live broadcast and the engagement of it and the assembly members, the questions they're asking, their commitment, the time. And I can't imagine the head stress that it's causing them to be doing this. And that's really important and powerful. But I have a fear that once they make their recommendations, it'll then go to an Oireachtas committee, which will be a further stalling tactic. Um, and I think, you know, governments have to step up and say, yes, this is hard for us. We don't want to be the government that forces this and pushes this to a referendum. But it has to happen because women are suffering. Their rights are being breached on a daily basis. I mean, listening to the personal testimonies on Saturday and hearing the heartache of some of those women and it's 12 people a day doing that for decades you know it's just it's not okay it's it's time to change that law do you think it's likely that this will have an effect on the government's uh, thinking in regards to a referendum or uh, do you think it's probably more likely that they will wait for the recommendation of the citizens assembly before proceeding with the possible referendum i think they will wait but i think I think they will wait till the Citizens Assembly reports, but it only has one more meeting before it reports, so that's not very long, ultimately. Um, I suspect, I hope they wouldn't, but I would suspect they'll wait, but I think this gives us such an impetus. I mean, I think the scenes in Dublin and Cork and everywhere today, it's just, it's really powerful, and it shows very, very clearly um, that how the people feel about this and where they want it to go. So I think that's very hard to dispute. And if we're looking at an election anytime soon, Um, I think increasingly this is going to be a doorstep issue and once it becomes a doorstep, once people are asking their TDs and their candidates about this on the door, um, then that's where you start to see real change. Uh, Yeah, we have seen uh, ministers such as Catherine Zappone and Leo Varadkar saying that a referendum is probably more likely uh, towards the start of 2018. Would that be soon enough for you or are you calling for something in the immediate future i i think we need an asap literally 12 women a day are suffering every day that that referendum is delayed more people suffer more people have their rights breached and that's not justifiable in my books it should it should have happened already and it should happen as soon as is absolutely possible uh, yeah, there is a there's a column in uh, the Irish Times today from uh, Larissa Nolan. She was saying that uh, uh, the saddest thing of all about this is that it's very possible that a repeal of the Eighth Amendment is absolutely the right thing for Ireland today, but that repealers won't listen to uh, the fact that abortion issue is not clear cut. So what do you, I don't know if you've read that column, but what did you make of some of the points there that sort of this strike is quite, she makes the point that it's sort of ramming it down people's throat. What would you say to that opinion? I I don't think that, I don't know um, anybody on the pro-choice side that is ramming anything, anyone, down anyone's throat except for a woman's right to choose. 
None of us, nobody wants to see anybody in the position where they have to make this decision. Nobody is saying it is easy. Nobody is saying anyone should get an abortion. We are saying that we should trust women to make that decision in for themselves. Um, I don't tell other people what to do in other respects. Why should I do it in respect of this? Um, so I think it's it is a complicated issue, but that should be a complicated issue for the individual and ensure that they have all the supports and services that they can go to their own doctor in their own neighborhood and make their, you know, have those conversations comfortably at home, not have um, the whole thing bound up unnecessarily in, uh, you know, stressful concerns about finance and visas and all of that. And uh, just finally, um, in terms of the legal perspective on this, if the Eighth Amendment was to be repealed, what do you think is likely to replace that in the uh, Constitution? Um, well, the repeal movement is for repeal and removal from the Constitution. It's not for replacement in the Constitution. Um, in terms of like so what if you, if you repeal, yeah, if you it? repeal the Eighth, um, we would still have the Protection of Life During Pregnancy Act. So the actual framework for abortion in Ireland wouldn't change immediately. It would only change when you um, repeal that act and replace it with something else. Um, and I would I have been involved in a group that did work um, commissioned by the Labour Party where we drafted alternative legislation for this. And we have set out what we think is an absolute human rights minimum standards. And that's going to be a really difficult. That's probably you know where that poll that pieces opinion piece is going is into that really difficult conversation. What does Ireland want to provide for? And we would say that you have to have access quite freely available in the first 12 weeks of pregnancy and then at limiting points making sure that you take into account issues around you know potential impacts on serious health damages by continuing with pregnancy risk to life fatal fetal abnormalities that all of that has to be properly covered by any legislation that's introduced so the draft legislation that uh, you've proposed with the labor party will contain uh, abortion but with limitations such as before 12 weeks and to include rape and facial feature abnormality well actually we wouldn't would include rape at all because um if you want to provide for rape the best way to do it is to have a very open basis um otherwise what you end up is a situation where so states that have rape exceptions have a rape ground and somebody you have to prove to somebody that you've been raped um, and I think if that was implemented in Ireland, women would probably still travel um, because who, you know, we know women don't report their rapes to the guards very often anyway. Um, so it's very unlikely they're going to do it in order to access medical services. So if you want to, as I hope most people do, out of a great sense of compassion, um, recognize that rape victims are in a particularly awful position, then we need to have quite open availability um, of abortion services so they can do that in a way that gives them dignity at a time that they've been denied that dignity and control. Um, just on that point though, the, that Irish Times poll at the end of last year in October showed that the majority of Irish people support uh, abortion in cases of rape and facial feature abnormality. So in so they want to see abortion in Ireland, but with uh, limited circum in limited circumstances. So are you concerned that if the, if a possible referendum was fought on the grounds of we want completely open uh, laws, that uh, there is a chance that uh, the side that you're campaigning on might perhaps lose that well, argument? I, I think the point is, is like, I find, you know, I think people talk about wanting to um, ensure that people who have been raped or who have a fatal, fatal abnormality situation that they can access abortion. And I think that comes from enormous compassion and that is a very good, good place to come from. 
but I think people need to be educated about what all of that means um, and how best to implement that. So as I say, if you want to support rape victims, you have to have more freely available early term abortion. Um, If you want to support fetal fetal abnormalities, you may have to have later term abortion um, because oftentimes, oftentimes, not always, but people don't even know about that fatal fetal abnormality until they're 20 weeks pregnant. So I think we have to get into the nuances. This is a far more, even with the best will in the world, this is a far more complex discussion than sure. we often get to in these conversations. So it's great to have the space to be able to talk about that. Yeah, well, unfortunately, we do have to leave it there. I'm <laughs> sure we could talk about this for another 10 minutes, but really appreciate your time, Vicky Conway. Thanks very much for no coming problem. in. Thank we'll you for be back me. after this break.